Plucky Ladies podcast, exploring female curiosity, perseverance, and feats of excellence, hosted by Jess Cat. Today on Plucky Ladies, I talk with Nicholas Hodge. Nick has worked in higher education for almost 20 years, and she describes herself as a woman in tech. She's the director of the Transfer Student Center here at the University of Arizona, where she commits herself to supporting healthy and productive transitions for transfer students. But she's also a fierce advocate for women, something we're both deeply interested in. Please enjoy my chat with Nicholas Hodge. You know what's so funny is that my my older son, when I finally got the podcast up, the first episode, um, I showed him, I went to iTunes, and I said, look. And he looked at it, and he went, Mom, I'm just realizing that you have a pretty cool life. Like, <laughs> you have a podcast, and you went to Tibet for three months, and you have a book you wrote. You're pretty cool. That is the brass ring of parenting. <laughs> it's the brass ring. But it took having something like a podcast yeah. because I think today kids are so tuned into like the digital like if you're on YouTube I was just gonna say that if I somehow was magically on YouTube like when I told my uh, boys I did the thing a public speaking thing for women in the workforce yeah and I was like you guys 100 people showed up and they were like well was Who it cares? on television right and I'm like, no no I was not on television yeah and my boys were not at all excited about my TEDx talk there <laughs> the day of until it came out and it was on YouTube okay and then they were like oh my god you're on YouTube mom you're famous that's what they said you're famous you're famous I said Okay, like 3,000 people have clicked it. That's not famous. That's a lot, though. But it's nothing. It's not, you're not famous. Like, to them, the, right. the determiner of fame is having a YouTube channel because all the pa- famous people they know are YouTubers. The, my, my, my boys, I'm like, I've had to. It's the f- where I had to foray into because I never wanted to be the parent that, like, tra- was, like, trying to closely control what they were watching, doing, seeing. Like, I wanted to instill them with good judgment. <clears throat> right. But man, YouTube is where, when I finally start oh seeing the gosh. effects of YouTube, yeah. and they, this was even with just them watching KidTube, I was yeah. like, okay, we need to put a few restrictions on this. Yeah. Because they're emulating yeah. narcissism at its highest level. Right. <laughs> I know. Like, my older son will, he says, I'm going to do, um, like, a cooking thing or food reviews, and he'll set up his iPad. Well, that's adorable. But it is, except that he can't just cook. He's got to talk to the iPad. and yeah. So then it's like, but then I think, well, when we were kids, like, you would talk into the mirror like you were on an awards show or I something. I make commercials all the time. Right. Yeah. I might, it was funny. We, the first time I sort of really realized what YouTube, what was happening with my boys on YouTube is we were out on a hike. And my oldest said, can I borrow your camera to take some pictures? And I'm like, absolutely. Because he observed that the grass looked like kelp. And I'm like, oh, yeah. yes, you can have, that's amazing. Yes, that's an observation. And he pops it open and he starts recording and he's like, hi guys. Oh, I'm right. out hiking with my mom. And I'm like, like, hi guys, you're talking like to it's your his audience. YouTube channel, exactly. And yeah. even like, I'll take videos of them in the tub and my five year old will be like, click below to subscribe. And I'm like, this is not that video. I know. It's, I know, I hear you. We have the fight all the time because they want YouTube channels. And I'm like, no, you're oh. too young. My boys have one, but only their dad and I are their subscribers. Right. <laughs> and their aunties and uncles and grandparents. Right. right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get and it. And to his credit, I went to go disable the comments because my oldest put it together. He's nine. And I went to go disable the comments, and they were already disabled. And I said, oh. did you do that? And he's like, yeah. I was like, Oh, okay. they're so savvy. Yeah. <laughs> we worry, but they're so yeah, savvy. Yeah, they've got to figure it out. <laughs> I love it. So All that was right. the podcast, right? We're done? We're done. Okay, right, great. Exactly. <laughs> Hi, Nick. Hi. I'm so this glad so to fun. have you. I know. Yeah. This is the best. I love it. So I wanted to talk to you for a couple of reasons. Number one, because you do describe yourself as a woman in tech, so I want to talk about that, but also your work with women and promoting women in their careers, and so we'll get to that a little later. Okay. But I want to start and go back a little bit and talk about your childhood and where you come from, sort of how what your journey was and how you got to where you are today. So I read that you grew up in Kansas. I, I did. I grew up in Salina, Kansas, almost dead geographic, almost geographic center of the United States. So is Kansas what we all think it is, which is big open space with cornfields and things? Or what? <laughs> you know the, the, what is it like? It depends on the part of the state you're in. Yeah. Like if you're in the eastern part of Kansas, I mean, now that I've lived in states with actual mountains and valleys and stuff, I, yeah. I get the difference. But growing up, we always thought of eastern or west eastern Kansas is kind of the rolling. That's the rolling hills of Kansas. It's Flint Hills, and it's mm-hmm. really beautiful, and it's it's kind of the smoky blue hills and mm. and valleys and grass and 
kind of what you picture for the sort of picturesque farmland. Yeah. And then Western Kansas is more of the what you picture flat farmland. Yeah. Like you joke you can see Colorado from Hayes. Yeah. Um, and I grew up in the center of that. Oh, wow. So, like, you know, I lean a little to the left and it's this, lean a little to that, it's right, you know. And I always thought I grew up in a, a moderately sized town because there's 52,000 people. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell people I'm from Kansas and they imagine – I've literally, when I lived in Los Angeles, they asked me if I rode a horse to school. And they right. weren't even being right. mean or anything. They were genuinely wanted to know about what what went into the process of tipping cows. Oh, my goodness. Which, of course, I'm like, A, you don't do that because it's really mean. Yeah. And B, nobody do- actually does that. It's <laughs> so interesting to hear you say that because it, it really brings to light how we have such a limited understanding of our nation if you haven't traveled a lot. Yep. We live in a really big country. Yeah, with crazy. I mean, think about Arizona. Right. I love Arizona because I feel like we have all the zones. Like, yeah. if whatever you need, you can go find by traveling anywhere in the state. That's right. I I'm, know. It, our, our family has a cabin in northern Arizona, oh, and it's totally different. That's from, Vermont. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's, Pine trees. It's beautiful. It's snowy in the winter. Yeah. It's cold. It's crisp. And then you come down here, and it's dry and hot, and there's lots of rock and not yep. a, no pine trees, really, unless you go up the mountain. But then you go up to, like, Tuba City or, like, Holb- even starting in, like, Winslow and Holbrook, and it's mm-hmm. the beautiful red rock. And right. that's the first time I ever saw wild horses are real. Oh, my goodness. And I goodness. saw them. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I have a really funny story to tell you about Kansas Kid in Arizona in a minute. Um, but the way I always describe Kansas is because people – the sort of connotation is that it's ugly. I didn't get that from you for the record. No. Um and I realized when I moved to Massachusetts, yeah. and I was driving around the state, and I felt a sense of claustrophobia because mm. of the mountains, w- which I grew to love. And I realized what's beautiful about Kansas is that the horizon is the, that's your picturesque landscape. Right. The sky, you know, the ground rises to meet the sky, mm-hmm. and it's just this amazing giant horizon that we take for granted. Right. Until you go back, and then you're like, that is just as beautiful as mountains. It's right. just a different sort of ocular experience yeah and I am a strong believer that pretty much every single state in this country every state that you can find natural beauty Uh, every every single state totally so people have these you know misconceptions about the desert or these preconceived ideas about about the midwest or you know that they're just ugly and flat and dry and hot and boring and then you get here and you're like wait a minute this is something amazing there's always something astounding always. I totally agree with you yeah every time I go I'm like I don't know I d- and, but I'm also just love being an observer sure you know, I'm one of those kids that picks up a rock and you will appreciate that yes I pick up a rock everywhere I go I'm not as cool as sort of being able to equate the literally like hundreds of small rocks around my house to the experience sure but I pick them up anyway. You, you're interested in the natural world. Yeah. You find yourself curious about it. Exactly. So tell me your story about a Kansas kid. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so when I started the UVA, I started as an, a recruiter. Yeah. And so it, there could not have been – I moved here from Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. There could not have been a better job to get to know my new home state because I drove the entire thing stem to stern. Oh, wow. Recruiting students to come to the UVA. Oh, wow. Um, and I was in Florence. Okay. And I know it was October because of the story. And so – it's a little itty bit, you know, Florence is, you yeah. know, Florence. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in the high school, and I go walking into the lobby of the high school, and in the middle of the lobby is a tarantula, which I've never seen not behind glass at this point. In just my, hanging out in the just lobby. Just hanging out in the lobby. Okay. Right in the dead center of it, too. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh. And so I walk into the front office, and at first I thought, this is the way I knew it was October, I thought it was a Halloween decoration. Oh. But then <laughs> when I got closer to it, it kind of shuffled a it little, moved. and I'm like, oh. <laughs> So I walk into the front office and I'm like, "There's um, there's a tarantula in the lobby. Did it escape from like the science room? Yeah. <laughs> Where else would it come from?" And she looked at me like I had two heads. Sighed, picked up a broom and like a dustpan, walked in. Like I followed her. She walked out of the lobby, dusted it into the dustpan, and shooed it outside. Oh my goodness! And I was like, "Where have I moved?" I <laughs> love that story, and I'll tell you why I love it for a couple reasons. One is because. It's another thing that people who don't live here don't really understand that these crazy wildlife critters that live around us are part of our ecosystem. Yep. And we actually grow to be very used to living with them in our surroundings. So you were new to that surrounding and it seemed really strange to yep. you. And your first thought was it came out of a, an, a terrarium, a lab. A lab. Yeah. 
And now, um, you know, having lived here for 17 years, we see them all the time around my house. And love they, them. And I'm like, look at the cool tarantula. Yes. And we call our kids out to look at them. I never would have done that when I was living in upstate New York. Nope. I would have freaked out if I had seen a, a spider that size. Minor panic attacks. Right. Yeah. Whereas I grew up around like black widows and brown recluses. And I'm like, oh, just shake your shoes out. It'll be fine. And I oh. step over rattlesnakes because if you step over them, they don't bother you. You know, right. like growing up in Kansas, that stuff doesn't bother me. And right. then moving here, a funny anecdotal story to that is several years later, I went out in my backyard and there was a tarantula in my pool. Oh, yeah. Turns out they can float, which yeah. is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And I ran inside um, to my husband and said, at the time, and I said, hey, there's a tarantula in the pool. We got to save it. And he was like, Why? he then looked at me like I had two heads. <laughs> Why would you save it? Because we also had scorpions. Right. And so when you have tarantulas, you have less scorpions. That's right. So I ran out and I grabbed the pool net and I fished it in the pool net and immediately started running up the handle. I freaked out, dropped the pool net, and he went back in the pool. Yeah. So then I went three, two, one, and I picked up the pool and I just flung him out of the pool. And then I ran over to him to make sure he was okay and he reared at me. Oh, yeah. And I was like, all right, you're good. I'll see you later. But you know, people, <laughs> excuse me, people also have this misconception that tarantulas will kill you. And they won't. No. Their bite is pretty innocuous. Yes. So it's like, okay, let's have a better perspective. Yes, they're big and hairy and gross. I don't want one crawling on my body necessarily, but I don't feel the need to kill it anymore. Yeah. Even though I'm not from here. But you grow to figure it out. You do. Yeah. And there are, you know, it's situational. There are gentlemen's yeah. agreements with bugs in your house. Right. Where it's like, in general, I will make an effort. But right. if you surprise me, I'm sorry if my gut reaction is yes, to stop you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. so tell me what brought you to Massachusetts. How old were you? Um, uh, it's after I graduated from college. Okay. So I didn't go, I made a run at being a, a college student when mm -hmm. I was 18. Yeah. Like growing up, my parents, I was thinking about this the other night, my parents never really expressly showed any interest in my academics. They weren't okay. worried about my academics. Right. So I did not get very good grades in high school. And they didn't ask about it. There was no homework. Like, when my boys come home, nothing happens till the homework's done. Yeah. And we do it as a family. Like, right. we sit at the table, and I hang out with them, and yeah. we make it less painful. Sure. Um, and, like, when they're – I know their grades intimately and when their next test is and what yeah. we need to be doing. Yeah. Um, so I made a run at being a college student, and it did not end well. Okay. <laughs> Your so, first run. Yes. Your first attempt. <laughs> so I left and went and had a lot of fun. Yeah. I joke, I want to run for office because I want to know what I did in those years. Yeah. Not actually – You find out yeah, all the dirt. All the <laughs> piece it all together. I love it. Um, so then when I was 21, I distinctly remember I was living with this girl, and I had gone to the Rainbow Gathering in New Mexico for a couple of weeks, which is exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. And I came back in the house, and the electricity had been shut off, and there was, like, all of these people sleeping in our living room, and the dishes hadn't been done for the two weeks I was there. And I was like, I am so much smarter than this. Yeah. So I just packed my stuff up, moved into my sister's house, and in one week, I switched jobs. I was working at a telemarketing firm. Yeah. Uh, I managed to, well, the order of things was I went to the dean, uh, Dean Wareham at the time at K-State. I got some, I don't know how I got in with him. I don't remember that part. But we had a great conversation. He wiped out my grades and let me start from zero. Oh, wow. Um, he hooked me up with this gentleman named Jack Taylor who worked in the financial aid office mm -hmm. who gave me a job. So literally wow. within a span of a week, I quit my job, got enrolled in college, and got a job on campus. Nice. Um, and started college when I was 21. Yeah. And did fantastic. Yeah. Um, so that in itself, let me stop you for a second, is a wonderful message for any young women who are listening because you had a turning point moment, which is coming home and realizing I'm living in this pile with these crazy people and my electricity shut off and everything's filthy and I'm and something needs to change and how plucky to then say I'm going to make it change <laughs> I'm going to go talk to the dean I'm going to go talk to this guy in financial aid I'm going to find a way and make it happen yeah yeah I don't know where I found my agency but I've first like when I reflect I've just always had it Mm -hmm. I mean, I think some credit should, and, you know, my relationship with my parents, my relationship with my dad was amazing. Yeah. And I think on some level, because he never consciously talked to me or treated me any different, maybe yeah. I just always assumed. What did he do? Well, he just kind of, like, we were, like, we had a father-daughter relationship, but we also just really liked each other. Yeah. Like, his highest compliment he ever gave me is that even if you weren't my kid, I'd still want to hang out with you. I still like you. You know what's so funny is my father said the same thing. He was in a newspaper article in my my hometown paper when I was young and they asked him about kids and he said I have a daughter and she's one of the coolest people I know and I just like hanging out with her even if she wasn't my kid <laughs> I mean literally verbatim yeah you know and Isn't it's, that great it was and well, I, what was his job uh, oh he I mean he had he was a roofer for 
a million years. Yeah. And then it just became too dangerous of a job for yeah. a guy with two young daughters. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was electrocuted oh and died gosh. and brought back to life. What? And had like a, a kettle of tarf all over on his hands and oh his hands exploded. Gosh. Like just crazy. And it fell off a roof, landed on his feet. Yeah. I guess I I received his grace because I am not very good at either. Yeah. Um, so then he, <laughs> I joke, he pursued his lifelong dream to become a truck driver. Oh, okay. So he was an over-the-road truck driver for a long time. Both my parents barely graduated high school, were married at, you know, an obscene nor- right. normal for the 70s age. Yeah. Um, and then the over-the-road truck driving was too hard on my mom with two young daughters mm-hmm. who were not, you know, shrinking violets. Right. Um, and so then he became a route man, and that was his dream job. So that was oh. our thing. He delivered all of – when you go to the grocery store and you see yeah. the magazines in the rack, yeah. route men deliver those. Oh, okay. And so – Every Sunday, I would go to the warehouse with him because they would drop off pallets of books and magazines. Yeah. And the deal at the time was you could have any book you wanted as long as you tore the cover off so they counted for it. Oh. So I was also a voracious reader. Yeah. So I would just go get my hand on every book, romance novels to Stephen King to whatever, if it was coming out that week, I got it and I consumed it. Yeah. And I would, in return, I would help him load his truck. And oh so we goodness. would just talk for three hours, stacking oh, wow. magazines and books in his truck, just what solving a, all the world's problems. What an amazing yeah. bond and connection to have. And I think that's where it comes from. Like, I just moved through the world not knowing that I'm not supposed to be like this. Yeah. That I'm not supposed to do this because right. I didn't have that instruction. Which is great. It's amazing. Because I don't think we should ever give that instruction. Reason unless my boys. you're doing something that's hurting someone else. Exactly. Why would you tell someone you're not supposed to do exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. So I raise my boys with that same expectation. Yeah. I assume you can understand what I'm saying, and when yep. you can't, we'll have a conversation about it. Exactly. Yeah. So you so go then, to Massachusetts. I know, you poor thing. No, no, um, no, I love this. So I graduated. You're easy to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I graduated my degree in military history, oh, and wow. then um, I joined the AmeriCorps. Mm-hmm. Because I, yeah, it's a domestic peace corps. Okay, it's actually, a, I don't know if it was started, but it was emboldened and funded by the funded by the Clinton administration. So it was a big okay. program in like the '90s. And the All deal right. is, you serve a year, you get a, approximately five thousand bucks off your student loans. Oh wow! And the programs are, you know, differentiate, you know, based on pay and requirements. The program I was in. Um, we got paid $135 a week. Oh, wow. But it was nice because you were allowed to have other jobs. A lot okay. of programs paid that little, and you couldn't work anymore. You can't do anything. Um, and I was on a trail. Here's another fun story. I was on a trail crew. Um, and my second day, it was a conservation corps. Okay. But because it was like blue-collar Massachusetts, we yeah. basically did everything parks and rec, and those guys just didn't have time to do. Oh, okay. Which was also great. Um, but, like, my second day, my, my boss was this, like – hardcore biker woman named Bonnie Uh (laughs) who used to be a lumberjack till she got injured and now she's teaching all these damn college kids how to cut down trees (laughs) and she picked me out I was the shortest smallest person in the whole group and she dropped a chainsaw in my hands she's like you're gonna learn how to use this oh wow and I did and so I returned for a second year because I got to be team lead oh so I got to teach other and I always had women. My dragging c- crew were always too, I was so mean, but I w- they, they were fine with it. I always had men as the draggers and women as the chainsaw people for nice. my second year. Yeah. And taught them all how to use chainsaw. And why not? And my favorite story from that is we always used this ancient men working wooden men working signs. So we'd have to put that up while we were cutting the trees. Okay. A lot of we did some trail work, but a lot of times we just cut trees off the side of the road so they'd get the snow off the road. Sure. And so my last day of AmeriCorps, I it's hard not to swear. I dropped a tree on the men working sign. <gasps> that was my last act in the American. On purpose? Oh, or totally. A- totally. Totally. <laughs> totally. And Bonnie, I'm gonna, can I say one swear word on your podcast? Of course. Bonnie walked over to me and she's like, you did that on purpose, you little shit. I'm like, <laughs> I did you a favor. <laughs> Bonnie sounds awesome, Bonnie by the way. Bonnie was pretty amazing. Bonnie sounds amazing. She was like, she's your, she's such a like iconic, like Hollywood movie character. Like, yeah. you know, heart of gold. Yep tough as nails woman you know and just the fact that bonnie puts a chainsaw in your hands Mm -hmm. to me there are so many ways that we as women can and should do that in other ways that aren't the actual act of handing someone a chainsaw metaphorically yes sometimes it is in reality you hand a young woman something that's going to encourage her to do something new or try something new but it's that here's an opportunity yep let's just go for it and like learn i would say that probably like you know, I for, it's it's as a woman, I'm like I'm struggling to give myself this compliment. But I would say one of my greatest strengths is that I am willing to just take really big risks. 
I yeah. am. I have always been willing, and I don't know where it came from because I was a total scared teenager. I was really? overweight, and I had a very core group of fantastic friends, but yeah. I was not popular, and I was not friends. You know, I literally had like my core group of friends, yeah. and that was it. Yeah, and I was pretty shy, except yeah. with my friends. Yeah, that actually kind of persists. So yeah. I don't know where I became this person. Yeah, I think a lot of it was just being like, you know what, I'm just going to go to Massachusetts. I've always wanted to go. I'm just going to try it, and then that worked, and I didn't. It didn't fail. Right. And then AmeriCorps happened, and I got really good at a chainsaw. And then my dad died. Yeah. And I kept breathing and moving forward and got better. And then, and then, and then I've just had this series of events in the last 20 years where either by someone else's hand or by my own hand, I've engaged in really deeply terrifying behavior and survived yeah. and succeeded. Yeah. We, we share that in common. A couple of things. Number one is that both of us lost our fathers at fairly young ages. How yep. old were you? I was 27. 27. Yeah. Um, and that, I'm sure, felt like a turning point to you at, in some way. Huge. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest in my life. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, just the... Let's see. You don't have to. No, it's, it's important. <laughs> I love talking. Ryan and I talked about it. Um, yeah. You know, just like for some reason, I, do you always do this? I yes. would zoom back to the exact minute where I found out. Yeah. And so then I kind of have to work from there. Yeah. Um, well, I was actually there with my dad. Oh, God. When he passed. So for me, the hard part is if it's not so much when I talk to people because they don't ask about that. Yeah. They want to talk about how his death changed your life. Yes. And so it's a little easier for me, I think, because I was there and I had to process all of that as it was happening. Yeah. But it's hard, too, because my last visual of him was in that hospital bed and yeah. d like literally dying in front of me and how different he looked to uh. me from before he was sick. Um, and that's really hard. Be it's hard to have that. And so, but now that it's been 20 plus years, I it's it's easier to retrieve the memories of him the way he looked when he was healthy. I believe that. Yeah. It wasn't right after. Yeah. It was almost like burned into your brain. See, my dad died out of nowhere. Oh gosh. Yeah. He that's had really a hard. massive coronary. Oh, gosh, it's really And hard. I was supposed to call him. We had a phone date, and yeah. I was too tired, so I was like, I'll just call him tomorrow. Yeah. And then he died that night. Oh. So I had to do that whole processing, which right. I succeeded, sure. successfully done. Sure, sure. As a parent now, I'm like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but so, yeah. so I don't want to push you anywhere that's no, making no, no, you it's upset. Okay. But that, for me, I know losing my dad, because we were so close, and it sounds like you and your dad were really close, I – without even knowing it I was lost in a way that I had never been before deeply were you did you feel that too deeply like yeah. I did the I did the right talking where I'm like this will either make or break me and for my dad I'm gonna let it make me sure. which the good news is long term that was true yeah short term uh so six months after I lost my dad I broke my leg in two places in a skiing accident so oh then I got gosh. to spend eight weeks immobilized with my thoughts. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's not great. And what I now realize is that I would talk to you about how it was a very dark period for a year. Yeah. What I now realize, based on some of the events in the last three or four years, is that it set me. I think I've talked about this. Like, I, I like the whole string theory of we all have yeah. seven different lives at any given time. Or I'm, I'm definitely corrupting that idea. I, I <laughs> stole a lot of it from a TV show. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just the idea that you sort of have these, you, when we are here, you're sort of forged with all these alternative path options and your actions sort of bouncing in between these paths. Yeah. And I, I visualize this as my dad dying launched me onto this other strand, mm -hmm. causing me, what I didn't realize at the time is what a deep, cord of fear it put into the, my very depths that yeah. I didn't know that a lot of my actions for the you know following 10 years would be actually driven out of that fear oh wow so I was still who I was I was mm -hmm. still taking risks and doing cool things yeah. and, and being successful mm -hmm. but I was definitively not being I had definitively I was not on the right strand okay and I didn't realize it yeah. I started because I was so scared I started placing a lot of value in safety Oh. Like safety in money, yeah, and safety in things, mm -hmm. and safety in appearances. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, if you know me now, you would be, you would find that hilarious because I have none of those things anymore. Sure, <laughs> sure. And I'm so happy now, you know, that right. a lot of good things happened in those years. I had my boys, and you know, I did all kinds of crazy things, but I never realized that I was sort of walking around with a veil. Yes, and for me, there was a lot of that, like just thinking about like feeling a little more insecure and mm. it wasn't for me because I was younger I think because I was 19 oh god it wasn't so much about I have to have you know be secure in money and secure in all these things it was more just like 
oh, a big part of my identity was me and my dad and my relationship with him, and now that's gone. And so do I even know who I am? Like, that's sort of where I – but I don't think if you had asked me then that I could have said that. Yeah. I think I just was like, no, I'm just going about my business like I normally would. But really, like, everything changed at that point. It's exact. I mean, it's it's the same thing. Like, we had different reactions to it, but it was definitely a realization that I – was I, I didn't know I had lost my core identity so yeah. I was just like oh I'll just grab this one mm-hmm. and wear it for a while because I don't know how to I don't know how to be my true self that's it, right it would be too much right now to be my I don't think I could process this yeah if I was my true self yeah like I think I that that's what really struck me is that our brains are because so, now I've lost a lot of my family I've lost yeah. my mom I've lost yeah. a very dear I mean I've it's basically me and my sister at this point yeah um and I realized that our we are so cleverly designed because when something really horrible like that happens to you, mm-hmm. your brain's like, okay, I'm just going to grab that real quick and I'm just going to give you little pieces of it. Sure. Because to try to process the true nature of what just happened mm-hmm. would would kill us. It would truly immobilize us. Sure. And I never thought about it that way. It's so interesting you say that you, you kind of grab another identity. Maybe that's why I grabbed geologists. <laughs> <laughs> because my whole plan, you know, everything was very creative focused and writing. And my dad was a musician. And I never in a million years would have thought I could do science. Yeah. And it was only after my dad died, I mean, within months of his death, that I had decided I was going to be a geologist. Yeah. And I think back on it now with you just saying that, I'm like, I wonder if that was my brain's subconscious attempt to create some a me that was not the me that was so attached to my dad. And now, oh, I'm a woman scientist, which is nothing like what I was yeah. when he was alive. Um, maybe that was a coping mechanism. It just turned out great for me. Yeah, <laughs> it ended up being the best out. choice I made. <laughs> but never would have never would have predicted that. And it's weird. I wonder if in some sort of subconscious capacity you were divesting yourself of the memory of his death by just attaching it to that identity and assuming a new one that you know wasn't attached to that event. Yeah. I mean, who knows? This would all be good stuff to delve into with a therapist. Do we have psychologists? (laughs) Do we have a a therapist on on site? (laughs) It could really help us. Um, But I do, I did want to ask you, because you mentioned snow, Mm -hmm. and you, I read about you that you moved here to escape the snow. You said you were done with snow. Yes. Do you still feel that way? Um, Like, do you love it here in the heat and the warmth? I do. I'm such a, I'm one of those weirdos. It's like, so the truth, if if we're being truthful, if you talk to me in September, it's, I acknowledge that every single September, I'm like, okay. Even Done. like this week, I'm like, this is enough. It's ridiculous. It's enough. Yeah. So I do grow weary of it. Yes. Don't, don't kid yourself. But yeah. um, you know what it boils down to is I still like for me, it's the just the labor. I like things to be incredibly efficient. Mm-hmm. I'm an I'm an inherent optimizer. I can't not optimize every situation I'm going into, even yeah. if it's just the grocery store checkout line. Okay. <laughs> Snow it causes everything to be very inefficient. It like slows if everything down. You just want to run to the store and get some milk. Yes. First, you've got to get bundled up. Yep. Then you have to shovel your sidewalk. Then you have to shovel out your car. Yeah. Then you have to hope you get to the store. Scrape your windows. Scrape off, your windows. Turn the, the whole heater nine on. Yards, yep, yep. 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 Just to get some damn milk. Yes. I love that even if it's 143 degrees, all I got to do is run fast on my car and get the AC on and I can still go get my milk and be home in 10 minutes. Yeah. Your milk might curdle. It might. It might. It might. Yeah. So like I philosophically love snow. Yeah. Like if it just snowed on Christmas Day every year, yeah. that would be a-okay. Yeah. Or if I was in some cabin with, you know, a month's worth of supplies and no responsibilities. Sure. Snow's great. Yeah. But it's yeah. funny because I think back on my childhood, I grew up with snow. And I never thought of it as an inconvenience, even though I remember that inconvenience. I mean, I do. I remember the scraping of the car and the I was often the one that they would say, go shovel the driveway. (laughs) And I remember loving it. Like, I remember that was my exercise. And I would go out and put my head, my Walkman, my headphones on with a cassette tape. And I would shovel the driveway and I'd be sweating inside my parka. And I loved the way it felt. And now... What I have a hard time enjoying is being outdoors and sweating when it's 100 degrees out. That's fair. So to me, it's like I can do one, but I can't do the other. Yeah. So it never felt like to me the heat feels like more of an inconvenience because it makes me feel slow and lethargic. And that's that's yeah. totally fair. Yeah. I mean, and that's um, I was thinking about this too because like right now I was talking about how I have a space heater in my office. It, I find myself feeling angry when like I 
I am conscious of my bones and my fingertips because they're so cold. Yeah. And that's my office, by the way. Right. Well, that's a problem that's here a problem in anyway. Arizona. It, it seems is. like they never get the temperature balance right. I call so, it the menopausal rooms. Every yes. room is menopausal. It's like, oh, this this wing is hot. Right. This, wing this is one's cold. cold. This one's just a little sad. No. It's also a time of year because in the summer, the a- AC is so it's high that you freeze when you come inside yes. and you burn up when you go outside. There's a really <laughs> funny video on College Humor about that, yeah. about the, these women in the office, and they're like, it's summer and like all the men in the office have like their zinc and their swim shorts on and the women are all like bundled Bundled huddled huddled around candles little candles I know it's so weird so that's my main thing about cold is I just I because I and it's funny you say that because when I was a kid I distinctly remember calling 411 to get the temperature yeah and it is we had to wait until it got up to 15 degrees before we were allowed to go sledding oh wow Oh, my gosh. And now I think about that, and I'm like, it's 60, and I'm like, this is ludicrous. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, freezing. I have memories of going – I did a lot of sledding and ice skating as a kid. I have memories of walking out the door, and you feel like the hairs in your nose freeze. <laughs> <laughs> and you have like little icicles in there. Well, you, I miss that. You're feeling. from the Midwest, right? No, upstate New York. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I remember in college, the college paper printing articles. Because then as I got older, it was yes. less snow in Kansas and mm-hmm. more just deeply cold temperatures. Yeah. And the paper saying, don't expose your flesh to the air for more than 15 minutes or you'll get frostbite. But right. they can't cancel classes because classes would just be canceled for two months. Right. So it's like, bundle up, suck it up, go to class, <laughs> enjoy your education. You're That's paying right. for this. That's the best part. Yeah. <laughs> So it's interesting you said you studied military history, but you told me that you are a woman in tech, and yes. I want you to talk a little bit about what that means <laughs> as a wom- woman in tech. Well, I mean, technically I was a woman in tech, but I still very much, that is still very much my proclivity. So when did you, how did you get turned on to tech? Um, so it's funny to think about you in science, because I think now that if I could go back and do it all over, I would either be a math major or like a CIS or MIS major, because sort of the I talk about my optimization brain like data structures yeah and the way data is structured and the way you have to think about that and the sort of larger this sounds cheesy but almost sort of the larger socio impacts of how we organize our data and allow access to it all of that is just like I, c- I could talk about that for hours yeah like I love that yeah, yeah. Um, but what I didn't know, I didn't know that was a thing. So, like, I worked in a bookstore in college. Yeah. This is a quick anecdotal thing, and then I promise That's I will answer your question. I love anecdotes. Um, so, it was a used bookstore, and they had this policy for romance novels that okay. you could trade them in and out. Okay. And the woman that owned the bookstore never had that situation organized. So, literally, the romance novel section was in the back of the store, and it was just overrun, like, piles and piles of books. And we had cats. So, on top of that, they were peeing on the romance novels. Oh, no. So, it was this lovely situation where I was like, yeah. I'm done. And so, unpaid... One night, I was there until about 3 o'clock in the morning. I went through all of the romance novels. If we had more than two copies, those additional copies got trashed. Yeah. I organized everything. The ones so that were peed on. The ones that were peed on. Right. Instantly <laughs> trashed. And I organized it so that all the books we had actually fit on the bookshelves and were alphabetized by bookstore. Nice. And then I, ins- I instituted the policy without her permission that if you were bringing a romance novel in and we already had two copies of it, we wouldn't take it for trade. Okay. Which made me very unpopular, unpopular. with the women of Manhattan, Kansas. Sure. But that serves to sort of indicate that's how my brain works. Yeah, you saw that as a project. I did. Yeah. And I didn't realize that that was just, you know, that's a database. I was right. creating a database and organizing the information. Exactly. And getting rid of duplicate files. Yes. You know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Isn't that funny? It is. So I came to work with UVA as a recruiter. And one of the things that I did is I created kind of a database of my schools. I went out okay. and researched them so I could better understand them so yeah. that if I was expected to have numbers out of them, I wanted to make sure the numbers I was expected to have were not unreasonable right. relative to the population, blah, 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 blah. I just, like, I'm always like, oh, you want me to do this thing? Let me go find the data to make sure what we're doing makes sense. Yes. And that's kind of what I did in in admissions, and I helped. So, like, I did things like helped organize how we communi- like how we communicated with and contacted national merit scholars, and I so I just kept doing projects like that. Sure, I've done it in every one of my jobs. And so, Dr. Akita is the dean of admissions. The university had just been approved for the Mosaic Project, which okay. was this massive getting rid of the student information, replacing the student information system with PeopleSoft. Okay. And there were a couple of side, side projects. And one These of are different programs that you're using. Software applications. Software. So like okay. UAccess is actually PeopleSoft. Okay. So we were implementing UAccess. Okay. Um, and then also one of the side projects was the admissions office was going to get a CRM, which is a customer relationship management system. Okay. How to track our prospects. Oh. So Casey asked me if I would run the RFP for that. 
And okay. I didn't even know what an RFP was. I don't know what that is. It's a request for proposals. It's okay. how we get, it's how we're allowed to contract as a university. Okay. So we send out a call and say, hey, companies, we want a CRM. Prove to us why we should pick you. And they respond, oh. and then you pick. Okay. So I did that. We picked, and then I I implemented it, which yeah. just meant helping admissions think about their processes, get them organized, and then configure them in the CRM. Yeah. And so then they asked me to come be the admissions person for the UAccess implementation. Oh. So I co-managed the admissions team. And then after that, they asked me to manage half of all of the UAccess stuff. So yeah. I was like, uh, financial aid, admissions, something, something, something. With Sarah Wieland. Do you okay, know Sarah? No. Sarah, oh, she's she's one of my closest, some of my closest friends come from that project. Yeah. She was like advising and something else, and I was everybody else. And we co-managed all the analysts supporting the support of that work, the okay. support of UAccess. Like yeah, right yeah. now, if you yeah, access, yeah. if you were like, we should have a flag for that. The teams that you contact to do that, we were managing those teams. Okay. And then Sarah left to take another position, so then I ended up managing all of them. And that's how I found myself as in a leadership position in IT. Yeah. Just completely. Without any sort of IT degree. But not a single But your brain just sort of works that way. And so you found a way yeah. to express that yeah. through your work. And people picked up people on it. People were like, she knows how to do oh, that. she knows how we to do that. We don't know what it is, but we know she knows how to do it. Yeah. She, we can harness that. So this is another great message yeah. that sometimes it's not even about what's your degree in, what are you trained in, but you know that you have a strength. Oh, those are my passion. So the thing yeah. that. If you want to talk about supporting and helping and identifying and transitioning women into thinking about things differently, some of my big flag-bearing totems are up, many metaphors here. Is that yeah. So a couple friends and I started a women in IT group here on campus, yeah. and we pulled all of the women that showed up to the first meeting, and I don't remember, but let's say there was 30 women there, and we asked them, how did you get into IT? 28 of them were like, somebody. they needed it done. They needed something done, and I volunteered. Yep. So that's great, yes. but we need to work on that. Sure. Because that's great, but wouldn't it be better if Nicholas – I loved my military history degree, but mm -hmm. wouldn't it have been better if I had done – and I, it's funny, my master's is in library science. Mm -hmm. I took almost no library classes. I took all right. of the digital information management classes. Yeah. Like I made my own LAMP server. I got to code my own LAMP server and like learn how to – I taught myself how to do HTML because I was trying to do stuff in Dreamweaver and it wouldn't work, so I went and hit the carrot to see the HTML, and then I just started practicing until I could just – Wow write the page I wanted in HTML. Yeah. I'm not alone. Those We have a million of those women on campus that are project managers and have a degree right. in English. Right. You know? Right. And so that's my big thing is helping women self-identify and not self-limit. Yes. So, like, not being afraid to take risks. Yes. Not being willing to go apply for a job because they don't hit every single bullet on the right. biased job description to right. begin with. Right. It's amazing to me. I still see job descriptions that use, like, male language. Yes. Or just, like, yeah. And and I was talking to a, a friend of mine that um, was applying for a job here, and he was like, you know, I had letters of reference from three different presidents, but I didn't meet the requirements of the bot or I didn't meet a couple of the requirements, and I d still didn't get the job. And I'm like, but you still applied for the job. Right. Do you know how many women didn't Don't. even try? Because there's 50 bullets, and if I only meet 49 of them, I'm not qualified. Right. <laughs> I do think that this Sorry, is... Sorry, this is my no, tirade. No, no, I hear you. <sighs> I do. I've <laughs> talked about this with some other guests of mine that I do think that women tend to be, in general, and again, I'm not going to say all women, right. because a lot there are women out there who do this, and they have no problem doing this. Yep. But I'm not one of those women. I'm one of those women who really thinks carefully about, am I really qualified? And if I see something that I don't know if I can do or I am not trained to do it, I might say, oh, this isn't for me. Someone else is better than me. Someone else is. And the truth of the matter is, I mean, we tell our students this too in geosciences when they're graduating. A job might come up in one facet of geology, which isn't your specialty, but there is no reason that you can't apply for that job. Because if you're good at what you do, you're a strong researcher, you're a good scientist, you're a good teacher. Um, you may just get selected over those other people who have that specialty but can't teach yep. or don't have any publications. Or, or have a personality. Bad personality, yeah, right? Exactly. So I think it, it's, it behooves every, all of us to think about how, what do we bring to the table that we can exemplify when we go into an interview, when we apply for a job, um, and not worry so much about those little things that maybe we don't have. Yeah. Yeah. Figure it out. Figure it out. I mean, and it's not like I walk around with extreme confidence in everything that I'm doing. Like... 99% of the things that I've agreed to do, I've been like, okay, I guess I'll figure it out. And yeah. I'm deeply terrified. Yeah. You know, and I don't even 
bother to acknowledge until many years passed that I did it. Right. You know, it's not oh, like I'm, I'm celebrating way. my accomplishments yeah. as I go. I'm like, oh, crap, I did that. Yeah. All right. I mean, you talk about risk a lot, which is a big theme of mine. My whole, I did that TEDx talk, which I know you saw, yeah. and that was all about a huge risk that I took in agreeing to go to Tibet and do field work, and <laughs> I'd never camped before and it all those amazing. things. Right. So, but I didn't realize how amazing it was really until I was able to look back on yeah. it with some years behind me and say, you know, that was in the 90s. I was the only woman on that trip. I had never been to high altitude. I'd never really camped. What was I thinking? Yes. And then, wow, that's a pretty big accomplishment um, is something that then it helped me. It carries with me because I'm not, I'm less afraid now to say no to, th- you know, say yes to things. Yeah, you nailed yeah. it. You yeah. Told that, I mean, that's exactly it. Like, I'm terrified. I even think of things like, how am I still alive? Oh, wow. Like, what were all the forces in place that allowed me to be safe doing that, you know? Yeah. And then realizing in hindsight that like, that's the reason why I have a little bit of bravado in the things that I engage in because I've I've also failed miserably repeatedly right. and right. survived. That's another thing, Same too. Thing. Right, the failure. I mean, I feel like today it's so much less accepted by young people to fail. They yes. don't want to fail. They don't want to feel discomfort. They often... It, a failure feels like the end of the world yes. so it's either all or nothing um and I it was a hard lesson to learn but in the times that I've experienced rejection or failure or whatever that's related to work or, or things that I do that I'm passionate about yeah. at the time it feels like my life is over and I shouldn't be doing this I'm horrible at it and then I realize well wait a minute I just learned something from that experience it's going to make it better the next time yeah it's never not failure has never not panned out for me really like there was a job i I felt like I deeply, I was, you know, I was deeply tied to the idea of getting, it is when I was going through my divorce and I just lost my mom. So I was like convinced this was my, going to be the thing that saved me. Yeah. And I've also only ever not applied for and not gotten one job in my entire life. Wow. So. Right. <laughs> I, there was a lot to deal with there. Yeah. And uh, I didn't get the job. Right. And mm-hmm. it was like something like everybody thought I was just going to get it. Yeah. Situation too. And, and. Oh, yeah. I will now tell you that the more qualified, absolutely, the more qualified candidate got the job. Yeah. And I respect the person that got it. And sure. I like working with her. Sure. But boy, in the time, it was rough. Yeah. You know, and then a year later, I'm like, amen. Yeah. Like, now I'm in this job that You're I where adore. You need to be. And yep. I, the person who got the job totally deserved it. Yeah. And now I also get to walk around and, like, you know, for a while, people are like looking at me, and I'm like, no, "Hi, it's how good. are you? Yeah. I'm great." You know, and like, <laughs> like afraid to approach. You. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I get to look bear. like I'm somehow the better person, but at the same time, they're learning that you know you can accept because it was a very public situation. Too, yeah, and that, yeah. Like you can survive that. Sure. Like, all of that. I uh, also, yeah. I'm. I don't know what happened, but I'm also just. I don't experience embarrassment like I used to. Oh wow, good like, for you. <laughs> I feel like I, but I put my, I embarrass myself endlessly. Sure, sure. But it, I don't know how it used to like enter into my soul when I was yeah. embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. And it just doesn't anymore. Now I'm like, oh god, that was embarrassing. And then it yeah. just, you know. It, yeah. I'm, I'm also, it's also harder to embarrass me. Well, sure. I think some of that is age as you get older. I totally think it's that. Yeah, I know. I, I remember, so the first time, you know, I wrote this book, and the first time I really went out to try to get representation, I mean, it was just ugly. You know, I couldn't get anybody to buy. People would say, oh, that's a great idea. It's a great concept. But no, I don't want to represent it. And they always had a reason. And, and it was the first time in my life that I really had tried for something and just was completely failing because I got into a good college, you know, I got into a grad school, I got a degree, you know, I got a good job. Yeah. And so then you have this harsh reality where, like, you're not always going to succeed the first time around at something. Like, sometimes – and I'm sure that there's probably people listening who are thinking, oh, my gosh, like, poor you. I fail <laughs> at everything that I do, right? And you got everything you wanted and then got rejected on this thing you did. But the truth is, so here I am, it's like six or seven years later, and I'm still trying to get that book published. And there have been times where I've said to myself, I just am not a writer. I shouldn't be doing this. Obviously, I'm bad at this. Yeah. And then I have to sort of talk myself off the ledge and go, no, it's just that you're not there yet. Yeah. There's more the work right to be done. It. Or it's not the right person. Or yeah. it's not the right time. And, and, the, and now, I mean, this podcast came out of a failure with that book because, you know, did finally get representation, take it out to try to get it published. No one wants to publish it. And I had to really take a step back and go, do I want to dive back into this or do I need a break? Yeah. And what do I really want to be doing right now? What I want to be doing is talking to women about their incredible stories, where they come from, how they succeed, what they've done in their lives. Maybe I should do that for a while and just put that on hold. You know, it's funny. You did something that I always do just to sort of go back for a minute. And I think I actually did it with you when we were talking about the political stuff is that 
I think that, and I don't know if this is uniquely female, because I agree with, like, I, I get a little oogly when you start saying, all women are all men. Yeah. Um, but you were like, I recognize that my problems are not real problems. Right. Because I'm, you know, this lucky I'm woman lucky. with these amazing things. Yes. That you, you did, you're, yeah. there's luck. But, like, take some, I'm, I know yes. you do. Take some credit. And you also, earn this it's thing. okay yeah. to, like, like yeah. we f- I've, I feel that way often in the world, where I'm like, yeah. you know, there's 48 hours of horribleness, and I'm grumpy because traffic was hard getting in today. Yeah. I don't deserve to be grumpy. I'm a terrible human. No, it's okay. It's, it's okay actually to be okay to be yeah. grumpy at traffic. Yeah. You know, you can, we can have both things. Yeah. You can acknowledge that you are have this amazing and be grateful for your life, but you're also allowed to feel like, but also that stuff was hard and it sucked right but you know what (laughs) the truth is that um we also live in a culture right where women expressing anger and frustration and emotion is met with she's hysterical yes and men do it and it's just well he's strong yeah he's just he has a right to say those things and again not everyone but we see this it's so pervasive there's enough data yeah to sort of build that case yeah and And so i think data i'm sure you've had it too. oh i've had it too like we I have, I talk a lot, I'm sorry, Please and I talk. have a I crazy, like, <laughs> sort of insert myself personality, um, like, I've literally write in, written a note to myself in meetings that says, don't talk, <laughs> just that I'll settle down, <laughs> um, and as a result, some of the reasons I didn't get that job, I wasn't the more qualified candidate, but some of the things when they did the opinion, the polls, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, some of it that came out of it was that I was, like, basically too strident. Oh. Um, and then there was another one that, like, I, I am intimidating. Oh. And I have, that is not the first time in my existence that's happened. And especially working in IT. Like, yeah. you know, if you are the one that's like, that probably talks too much, um, but is also always, because I am always trying to optimize, I always try to do things. You know, I always kind of have, well, what if we think about this? What if we do this? You know, yeah. that I find myself having to curb that. Yeah. Because you, as the woman in the room, you can't be the one with all the ideas. Uh. And you have to be careful how you present them. Yes. And I have definitively had the male boss where I had to present my d- ideas in a way that made him feel like he was coming up with them. I had that boss. Yeah. Where, like, I would just gift him all of my ideas and then he yeah. would, you know, document them as his own. Right. All of that crap happens. Yes. And, it, and consistently. And still does. And I actually had to, I, I have actually had to talk to a manager God, she doesn't listen to podcasts about painting me with the hysterical woman brush because right. I found she was repeatedly saying in emails, "Don't freak out, don't freak out," and I'm like, you know what? Why do you think? In that? fairness, I don't feel like I've ever freaked, freaked out. out. Yeah. I talk fast, sure, and I get really excited. Yeah, but I don't freak. I don't. I can't. And so I asked her to like. I f- you say this a lot. I feel like can I have some demonstrative examples of when you feel like maybe I was panicking? Oh no no no, it's just a nervous tick. I didn't mean that. And I'm like, okay, but. The problem yeah. is, is you talk to other people about me. Right. And I, I'm aware of my persona, and I want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I, take, I take care of my identity. Sure. And I don't want the hysterical woman paintbrush on my identity. But it's Because so it's not true. It's so pervasive that it's not just men. It's women. It's it, yeah. all, and, and yeah. women are sometimes even harder on other women. Yeah. That we, you know, have these perceptions of each other. It's like, well, she's hysterical, or, you know, she's overbearing, or she's controlling, and you think, wait a minute, what if she's just a strong woman who's exerting her opinions and sharing her ideas? Does that really make you insane? Yeah, and no. if, there, if it was the role was reversed, and that was the interesting thing too, I should say that very, because I, I adore the woman that was doing this, is that in her mind, because she had so been trained to be non-emotional in meetings, to not be, and by, and I love the connotation of emotional too, because you think emotional meetings, it sounds like someone's yelling or crying. What we mean by emotional is how I'm talking to you right now could be, in some meetings, construed as emotional. Sure. Because I'm passionate. Having a passionate response to something, yeah, in the positive or the negative. Exactly. So she would often feel like she was gifting me by helping me understand that this is a good feature, but you need to learn to control it when you're talking to other people. And I'm like, nah, or I can just be myself and pave a path for other people that are like me. Yeah. You know, let my actions do the talking. Well, and I think there's a difference between inappropriate responses at work where people might devolve into cursing and yelling and right. things like that which I've experienced <laughs> I versus bet you have. <laughs> right versus having passionate about passionate response to something in the positive or the negative where you are still professional but yep. you're expressing yourself yep. and um, again when you see men doing this it doesn't get construed as emotional nope there's a different way that people seem to interpret men doing it versus women doing it yep. 
And I think it's this inherent idea that women are more emotional. Yeah. Um, and it drives me crazy. Yeah, which is because in my field research, I joke, I call it my field research, which is my daily existence. Yeah, right. The level of emotion is equitable. Yeah. You know, like I know plenty of men who feel just as passionately as I do about all things and speak just as passionately sure. and get just as frustrated and angry and don't perceive themselves as stronger as a result of that. But, you know, it is just sort of this embedded culture. Did you see... I'm going to send it to you now. Yeah. This woman just bought this McCall that from 1958 because it had a list of 140 ways to get a husband. Oh, my gosh. 1948? 1958. Oh, 58. Okay. This literally only 50 years ago. Yeah. And one of the most alarming was alarming one was go after the werewolf or go after the werewolf or he may have heart. Like, you know, go date the abusive guy because you might be able to change his oh behavior. Oh, my goodness. But some of them were amazing. Like, the list is amazing. But what's even more amazing is that was only 50, 50 years, years ago. ago. So think about, it's amazing we've come this far, but just think about how much we just have to battle on perceptions and stereotypes. Like, I have this amazing, cr brilliant niece getting, getting her PhD in pharmacy, just mm -hmm. like the smartest. Yeah. And I... Like when she lived with me for a year and I had to constantly talk to her about her language because she would say things like to my boys like man up. Oh, no. And I had yeah. to talk to her about that. And once yeah. I made her aware of it, she's like, oh, I never thought about it that way. But right. like our young women are so embedded with their own notions of language and perception. Yeah. That and they masculinity. just don't even realize in masculinity. Right. They don't even realize what they're doing. And you have to sort of like my other big one is apologizing. You know, yeah. How we all apologize ad nauseum. Yes. Nonstop. That was a hard thing for me as a mother, like, to come to the – and this is a great segue because I wanted to talk to you because you have two boys and I, I have two boys. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. But um, realizing that sometimes I'm really going to screw up as a parent and it, and it deserves an apology to the children because <laughs> I wasn't really raised that way. Like, usually it was the parents are right, the children are wrong. Yes. Even if I screw up, oh, well, like, you need to be quiet and, you know, you do what you're told. And there have been times where, like, I jump to a conclusion. I get angry with my kids. I start to, you know, chew them out a little bit. And they'll, but mom, but mom. And I have to remind myself, listen to what they're going to say. And at least half the time, I misinterpreted something or I made a mistake or they were trying to do it right and it doesn't appear that they were, but they were. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to eat my words and apologize and say, you guys are right. I'm so sorry I got angry with you. Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things and the most important things to do as a parent is to sh model to them that we aren't always right. I, I mean, I'm like bleeding from my eyes in agreement. Yes. I cannot, I mean, and I literally, like I, I think I actually posted on something on Facebook about that, but it's important. This, this kind of circles back to my relationship with my dad. It's important to treat them like micro adults yeah. in that level, that they are fully formed humans right. deserving of all of the same considerations that you and I give each other. Right. And I could not agree with you more. I yeah. think that's how we raise, because you're right on your other point that we're in this society where it's not okay to mess up. And it's also not okay to not know something. Like right. everybody's got to pretend like they know. Right. And it's not okay to admit ignorance. Right. We just make facts up or right. pretend <laughs> like we know. We're in the age of alternate facts. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so with my boys, I have this passionate drive to that. That yeah, show them I'm human. Yeah. Show them I'm fallible. Yeah. That it's that it's okay for your mom and dad to be wrong and yep. make mistakes. Yep. And you deserve you deserve agency. Sure. You deserve the rights. Right. You know within. Within reason, right, which isn't to say you don't parent them babies. and they're not they're yeah. still young, but at the same time they have opinions and thoughts and yeah. things that are important for them to express. It's balancing that childhood with raising a you know, that's sort of my driven desire to have the same relationship with my kids that yeah. I had with my dad. To have them be confident. And to raise feminists. Yeah. Which I'm trying I don't want to I am conscious of not browbeating them with that. Yeah. So I'm very much still in the stage of my life. Dex and I are my nine year old and I are starting to have some conversations. Yeah. Um, but in general, I'm all about by action. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm tearing apart this old garden bed in my backyard, and I made a point. I started work on it, and I'm like, I'm going to wait till the boys are home. Yeah. So they're out back swinging, watching me, like, dig the dirt and tear the wood apart and haul it, and, you know, just seeing me to do all of those things. Right. Like, I try to do that stuff more in front of them. Yeah. And so that brings me to, I was going to ask you about um, being a mother who's also in tech but and working. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I think there are people who fall on both sides of this. I've heard things from people, oh, when you're a mother, you should always be with your kids, and how can you work? And then I hear other people say, oh, being a working mother is the greatest thing you ever can get. You know, I know where I fall. Yeah. So um, do you have thoughts about sort of what your life and your career, how they affect your kids and you being a mom? Yeah, I mean, I, I have 
I've al- I I am a unicorn in that I've always <laughs> been lucky enough to have even when I was you know working crazy eighty hour work weeks on the projects like I've always been afforded a level of adaptability in my schedule mm-hmm. so that I don't have to miss like honors programs you know yeah. or I don't have to miss I've never really had to miss anything super big yeah. Um, which I've had plenty of mothers of older children tell me you put way more stock in that than they do. Trust me. Yeah. Um, so I've been I've been lucky on that level. I think that like I think that we have to stop treating motherhood like this uniform monolith. Yeah. Because moms are still humans with individual needs. Right. And humans are humans with individual needs. It's also the whole idea that you somehow have to have to have kids to have a validating life. Right, which I, isn't true. The moms that are like, oh, you don't know ha- love until you have kids. I'm like, yeah, no, I think you can know love without sure. having kids. Sure, um, I just happen to prefer having kids. Yeah. That is how I discovered unabashed, yeah. unfiltered love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, I know it's generic, but I think what actually works for you, like you know what fulfills you. Yeah. I would not be, I would not be good having been home with my kids all day. Right. Um, it would not be good for them either. Yeah. I am trying to raise humans. And for the way my kids are, yeah. the socia- socialization at an early age was much better for them. Sure. I don't think being locked in a room with me eight hours a day would have been good for them either. Sure. <laughs> we all have to know our limitations, yeah, too. And know how I, to act yeah. like humans around other humans. I feel that way, humans, too. You know, that's I think I would have been like crazy if I had had to be home all the time although I did with my first one I was able to be home for like 10 months because it just so happened he was born around a holiday and then I took a semester off yeah unpaid because we don't get any paid time really we get like six weeks which is crazy and then um I had the summer so it was like this nice long stretch before I had to go back to work and that was great it didn't happen that way with my second but I always feel like when people ask me about it, which is so, it's kind of inane too because you never ask a guy. Never. Like, how does being a working dad affect your kids, right? It's like everyone assumes you'll be a working dad. Um, but I feel like my boys seeing me work mm-hmm. is as important as the time that we spend together. Agreed. And the fact that they know that I have, that I love my career, that I'm passionate about my, my career and my other stuff. And that sometimes I say to them, you know what, you guys, I would love to play with you right now, but I'm in the middle of ABC, whatever it is, for work, and it's really important. And they're okay with that. Yeah. Like, you, you, I love you more than anything in the world, but you're not the center of my world every moment. Yeah. Yeah. I fully agree with yeah. that. Like, we, it's the Instagram parenting world where we're supposed to just, you know, be making making shit magical all yeah, the time. Right. <laughs> and you know, I'm pretty good at that. Yeah. But that's when I want to do it. Yeah. I don't want to feel like I have to do it all that's the time. That's right. And I totally agree with that too because what are we telling them that what are we telling them about being a woman and, you know, in this world if if against what we wanted to do, we gave up all pursuits and just focus singularly on our children. Right. You know, there are some women for that's that that's what is, they want. That is what they want. And that's to absolutely do. what they should do. And then. I think they yep. probably strike the balance in that regard. In that, that is what they want to do. So they're not going counter to their feelings and their emotions sure. and their desires. So they're probably sure. doing it way better. Right. And finding that balance. Yep. If it's against, if it's counter to what you want to be doing, that yeah. doesn't make you a bad person. It means you're just you have different needs, and that's okay. Right. And it's good for your kids to see that. Yeah. And because you are not, you know, because you are going with the flow of who you are, your kids are benefiting from it, whether they're with you or not. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. And I do. I mean, I do feel. I like to tie the fact that I have a job to their possession sometimes too. Oh yeah, sure. Like if they're kind of <laughs> you being guys little would, buttheads, you wouldn't have that Xbox. Yeah. if Mama didn't have a job. Exactly. <laughs> when they're like, "Oh, we have to be in labor today," I'm like, "Are you enjoying those shoes and this yeah. house?" Yeah. You know, because I'm also a single mom. That's right. Who bought her own house, and my boys they helped me pick the house, and they were part of the whole house buying process. They were there for the signing. That's amazing. Like I try to tie all of that back to their little brains to sort of make. Those associations. I think that nothing could be better for creating feminists than having sons who see their mom as a strong woman who has her own career and her own life. Yep. That's that is it right there. Yep. I mean, you don't even have to tell them you will be a feminist. They're going to be feminists because they were raised by a woman who takes care of herself and them and does what she loves and works hard yeah. and has her own identity. It, totally. Yeah. And also a little the like cherry on top is that I also have really good relationship with their dad so, so we're yeah. sort of procreating those healthy thoughts that yes. these are let's face it divorce is the failure of a marriage so that's yeah. another big failure that you have to get over and yeah. requires processing and my kids see their parents doing that successfully and with love right. for each other yes 
you know that like i i feel good about all of that that's you know and i think that's so probably great. why it hasn't really been a huge deal for them they've kind of just they kind of never skipped a beat yeah because they didn't have to I mean, just having to be a single mom is plucky in itself. You've <laughs> got to find pluck in that situation. I know my mom went through it, too. It's like, how do you raise a child and get a job and get a house and all that stuff that you did the first time around with a partner. Yeah. And now you're doing it alone. It's interesting, too. I feel like, I'm sorry, I'm making a podcast 12 hours long. Love it. Um, the interesting thing for their dad's name is Brian. For Brian and I is that I think a lot of the problems in our relationship is that we never really appreciated what the other person was bringing to the table. Right. And so when you separate, that can either go really bad or right. really well. And what's happened is he was never as fully engaged with the kids. It's not like we took on traditional roles. He changed diapers and did laundry and cleaned the house. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a modern guy in, yeah. in that regard. But he didn't always sort of put care. I was, I was overwrought trying to be an Instagram mom. Like I was, yes. even though I was working every free minute, my children, I was devoted yeah. to my children. Yeah. Um, which was also unhealthy. Yes. And so then he didn't really have to do anything. Yeah. And so then when we, but I never had to do anything on the house. Right. The gardens were always magically green. Yeah. The house was, everything in the house magically worked. Yes. You know, and so then we separated and I bought my own house. And so now he's doing all of these really just great creative things with the boys. Yeah. You know, and he sends me pictures of them rolling around in the mud after a rainstorm. Yeah. He would have never been okay with that mess back yeah. in the day. Yeah, see? And I send him, I borrowed his wheelbarrow to tear apart, tear apart that garden in the backyard, you know? And yeah. Like, I know how to, like, I, you know, I'm replacing my own shower heads and, right. you know, doing all of that stuff. So yeah. we've sort of learned that, which is why I think we have such a good friendship now. Right. You know. Yeah. So it's yeah. just a, a testament to you guys and how important it is to yeah. do that for your boys for as the babies. well. Yeah. Um, before we end, I do want to ask you one last question, Please. which is I want you to just talk a little bit about, you told me that you work with some really interesting women's groups here in Tucson. Yes. You're a very strong advocate for women and promoting equality for women and women in the workplace. And I love that. And so I want <laughs> you to just mention some of these groups you work with. Okay. And so what you do. the one I know a lot about, I'm a brand new member. So on campus here, we yeah. have the Commission on the Status of Women. Okay. And they do a lot of, they are a huge like diverse group that they do so we even have subcommittees so okay. I'm on like the um, networking committee so we plan oh. events to sort of like we were trying to do it, it kind of fell apart so we're going to redo it in the spring but like a know your rights workshop for grad students okay like how to know kind of like I you, you might see me in this in that it's kind of like in the transfer center where we have all these students that don't understand the networks that exist on campus for right them. right we have a couple of grad students in our group who kind of express that too that they don't really know what's available to them in terms of professional resources it's overwhelming as TAs and yeah stuff. so we're going to do it we had a speaker and we're going to do a workshop on that and then it just Great. it fell through so we're going to redo it in the spring okay um so commission of status women they do grants they do all kinds of cool things okay um, the one that I um, have been heavily, well, mostly involved with in this year is Women in the Workforce. Okay. Which is a Tucson organization. Yes. It's a It's a committee run out of the, um, I'm totally drawing a blank, Tech Council of Arizona. Okay. Um, and it's a speaker series. Oh. So we just had our planning for next year, and I think it's going to be awesome. Cool. Um, so they did a series of, it started out that my friends were doing it, where uh, Melissa Vito yeah, yeah. was the first speaker, and okay. she's a friend of mine. So yep. I, I went to that, and then I'm like, how do I get involved? And so then I got involved, and then and then they asked me to speak. Nice. Which was one of the most amazing experiences ever. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend public speaking to everyone. It's some one of the scariest things. People hate doing it, yeah. right? They say it's the biggest fear after death for yeah. most people. Yeah. Um, and it is. I love doing it, even though it's very scary. Yes. Uh, I think everyone should do it. It's what a way to like, like the stories I got because I just got up there and did my. I'm not going to be embarrassed. I'm just yeah. blah. Yeah, Talked yeah, about yeah. divorce and mental health and yeah. overcoming difficulty and blah yes. blah blah. And then afterwards, I had like 10 women come up and share their stories with me. Isn't that amazing? Oh, it was like, it took me a weekend to kind of process all of it. Yeah. And I used to do, like, I used to go talk to 317-year-olds about why they should come to the U of A without even missing a beat. It's different when it's, it's your peers. It's so yes. different. Yeah. I did the, do you know the female storytellers? Yep. So I did female storytellers, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And that is the most terrified I've ever been in my life. So I'm part of the Odyssey Storytelling Group. I want to do yes. that. I want to go, too. It's yes. not like I have to. Well, we know. have a show in December coming up. What's the theme of that one? Um, it's called Mortified. Oh. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Okay, yeah. I just told a story in the November show. I kind of get off my buttons. Yeah, but but female storytellers, we often have ladies from Fist, yeah, female storytellers like coming Lee to Odyssey. Spencer. Uh-huh. And, and Mel Blumenthal. I know yes. Mel. Yes. So yep. we have a lot of yep. overlap with Fist. So um, that's awesome. Do you know Jane Bendix? 
Nelson? No, I oh, don't. Okay, so that's my best friend Brett's daughter. Oh, she did it okay. once too. Yeah, yeah, it's really fun. It's so good. But so women in the workforce. That's and they're we're always looking for members of that. Okay. Um, we have um, after after I did my thing, we ended up like we doubled in size. There's like oh, wow. twelve of us now. Oh wow! So that's super exciting. So and that is just a speaker series. So this year, I mean, I don't want to give away give it away, but this year we're really looking. One of the feedback that we got was that. All three women were great, but there was really no, like, millennial experience okay. representation. Yeah. Which is a nice way to say we were all old. We want some younger <laughs> voices. And it's totally sure. fair and good. So we're starting with this very young, not very young, but this young, very dynamic uh, woman who's done a lot of cool things. Great. And then the middle one, we're kind of thinking more of a panel, which is, like, yeah. is all about agency. Like, how to, um, what's the word, bartering. Yeah. Basically, how to, you know, have know yourself well enough to argue or conversate for what you need yes and then we're going to end with the goal is i won't name their names but two really 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 flipping powerful women in arizona yeah so it's like start with like the young yep how to barter to get up to the next level like mid mid career arguing your way to the next level and then what that looks like at the end yeah i love that i know oh that's so so cool i'm excited yeah and then i just you know this fall's just been kind of murdery so i haven't gotten to do a lot with the csw but i suspect in the spring we're going to be a lot more active and what's the commission on the commission on the status of women so the one the csw which is on campus is this something that students and women on campus can look for and get involved totally and should okay Um, they do summits they do they do and it's um you just apply to be a part of it okay they send out it's an application at the end of every year and they're always like the committee numbers there have swelled this year as okay. well too cool um, so they can are, find that on the U of A website they totally can and then yeah. the women in the workforce do they have a website they do okay. I can send you both links if send you me the links the and I'll put them in the notes I will you should awesome. put FST out there too I, I will Just put it all yeah, out there put it all out there yeah and then I know they're really trying the women in IT group that we started on campus um, we two years ago we passed it off because we didn't feel like it should always have the same leadership yeah um and they did amazing stuff and then it kind of dwindled and so now they're kind of poking it to see if people would still be interested oh, okay so they have a website as well too. oh great so yeah and Women they and, and a poll that i could even send you a link to the poll like that'd be fantastic if we were to bring this back to life what would you want out of it oh that's great so yeah send it all i will include all the links yeah it's good stuff well this has been delightful it has. you're so easy to talk to we're gonna have lunch sometime. i want to yeah yeah <laughs> well nick i want to thank you for being a guest on Plucky Ladies. Thank you, Jess. Thank you for having this podcast. Oh, well, thank you for coming (laughs) and being a part of it. I really enjoyed it. Instead of apologizing, we'll just say thank you for me. Thank you. That's right. (laughs) Thank you for what you bring to the table. Exactly. Thanks again. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Plucky Ladies podcast is recorded in the studios of the Office of Digital Learning at the University of Arizona. Special thanks to the team for recording, sound editing, and photography. You can catch all episodes of Plucky Ladies on SoundCloud, iTunes, and on my website, JessCap.com. That's J-E-S-S-K-A-P-P.com, and click the tab labeled The Podcast. Send me a message with your Plucky story, and it might be featured on a future episode. Subscribe to Plucky Ladies Podcast and come along on all of my journeys into female curiosity, perseverance, and feats of excellence.